Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human-Centered Security. Today, I am talking to Robin Bailenga. She is a seasoned client-facing expert, having drawn on her initial skills early in her career as a flight attendant. Through business ownership, she became adept at PCI, DSS compliance and regulations, e-commerce TLS requirements, internal and network security, and physical location security. Bring your own device controls and compliance were critical to manage as well as governance, risk management, and regular internal audits. Prior to entering cybersecurity, she was the CEO and founder of Pedalchick, the first women-specific bike shop in North America. She built the brand, won national awards, and designed a full line of bicycles for a niche market until her company suffered an insider threat attack. That experience changed the course of her life and has brought her to this new career, and the opportunity to adapt the HFACS framework to cyber, which I'm sure she will go into a little bit more detail about because I'm very curious to hear about that. So thank you, Robin, for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to uh, be on your podcast and to talk about human factors. As you uh, said in, in my brief bio, I do come from a business background where anybody that owns a small business knows that you wear a million different hats. So you're forced to learn just about as much as you need to know to operate your business in a, in a successful manner. I did, I, I did suffer uh, from an internal, internal hack, which, as I said, changed my, the course of my career. I came to the UK to, um, to learn. I was so interested in, in possibly how this hack had taken place. What was I missing? How did I not see this coming in my own business? In some ways, you become very broken um, as a business owner when things like this happen. I think Inc. Magazine a, a few years ago wrote an article that said, gave a statistic like 60% of small businesses will fail after a hack. And what I wanted to do was try to take that horrible situation and turn it into something useful, if possible, to help other companies understand. And it was a process. It was a cathartic and painful process. And coming over and learning all that I could about information security, of course, taking the basic core classes. There are two different directions that my university, um, to Royal Holloway University of London, and they take information security, a couple of different directions. You can go the IT direction, which is networking and, and the typical path. But we also had a human factors program, which I found very, very intriguing and significant in dealing with 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 my issues and of course in any uh, graduate program you have to write a dissertation and I was searching for a project that really I could sink my teeth into where I could use everything that I had learned in my previous business life and I also have a master's in in uh, training and development from Clemson University and so kind of marrying all of that. I was out on a run one day with one of my one of my colleagues and and I said, I think I'm gonna really hit this, this internal threats. And um he's like, well isn't isn't that kind of why you're here? 
to come to terms with it and make peace with it in some way. And through conversations, I was very lucky. I started calling people all around the country and the world and leaders in the industry, especially addressing um, security culture, security awareness. I mean, it was kind of a natural fit for me to go into security awareness and training because of my uh, previous master's in um, and experience, but uh, running a business and training my staff and things like that. But I felt like I wanted to go do something a bit deeper. And I was introduced to um, a gentleman that we started talking about. Um, well, first of all, I was introduced to this book called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed, where he starts talking about situational awareness where you know, pilots or medical ER doctors or whatever can actually lose their awareness of what's going on around them and their typical expertise because they're hyper-focused on one issue. For example, he used um, an airplane that the, the pilot couldn't get the landing gear button was going off. And so they were focused on the landing gear circling over a town until they ran out of gas, ran out of fuel, and they ended up crashing the plane because they were hyper-focused on, on the issue with the landing gear. So that situational awareness, going a bit deeper into human factors, I discovered the human factors analysis classification system, and it is a, an amalgamation, basically. It's a, a doctors Wegman and Chappelle, back in the 90s, were brought on by the U.S. Navy to discover like some of the human elements, human errors going around airplane crashes. I am highly simplifying this, but for this particular discussion, they basically took um, human error studies from all different facets of um, cognitive errors, of um, ergonomic perspectives, and so forth. And they, they sort of blended it in from sort of a business management perspective to it, it fast forward to now they're applauded as a global standard of accident investigation across many industrial sectors to include aviation, nuclear power, rail, mining, healthcare, and they're a global standard for incident accident investigations involving human factors. So what I did was reached out to uh, Dr. Chappelle, actually, and you know, in our industry, the, 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 what we would call insider human error breaches are growing exponentially. We're also putting a ton of money into the IT and the development of new products to prevent things from happening. So there's a disconnect, right? The there have been a lot of conversations about humans being the weakest link. I challenge that in my research because when you say that humans are the weakest link, that's that's really focusing on what caused the accident rather than the more significant issue of why. So I proposed that these incidents are more of an organizational problem than a people problem. And as you and I discussed, it's sort of time to bring everybody together, change the narrative, 
by eliminating the culture of blame and replacing. So in my dissertation, I replaced the term insider threats with human factors. And I adapted um, under the guidance of Dr. Chappelle, the human factors analysis classification system to cyber. It is a way of mapping complex interconnected relationships. It provides a structured method to make that mapping consistent and repeatable for validation. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure if we actually defined the acronym. It's Human Factors Analysis and Classification, classification System. system. Right. Yeah. So the idea that you changed the wording to kind of reframe the conversation is super interesting to me. And as we were talking about, you know, in the intro to this recording, you and I share the same, um, the, sh the same idea, the same, the same wish that we could reframe how people talk about security, that it's not a technical problem, that it's a, a human issue. And I think that if we can fundamentally change that perspective, we can start getting closer to solutions. You know, I'm relatively new to the industry and already I am kind of like overwhelmed by the marketing, you know, the marketing speak and just kind of like the piling on of all of this technology to try to uh, thwart these different threats without actually talking about the root of the problem or trying to get to, like you said, why is this happening? And I feel like, you know, we can keep piling on all of these, you know, technical things, but unless we can get to the root of the problem, we're not actually fixing anything. Um, and I'll pause there and let you, let you talk, but I'm so <laughs> glad that you, you said that, um, about, you know, reframing things. And there have been times when I've been told that getting into the human factor side is sort of the easy way into the business, which sometimes I find that it, it can be a little frustrating because if you're if you're trying to figure out how, how humans behave and that that's the least simple task, I think it makes much more sense if you're an engineer computer IT oriented that that things are mathematically they're easy to figure out mathematically right i mean it is it's either it is or it isn't that's not how it is when you are trying to wrap your head around the human factor issue with respect to cyber and looking at how to how to um, create a healthier cyber organization. So if you look at operating um, as a business and not as an IT department, not as a security department, but let's look at the business organizational goals, right? And we all have to work under those goals. Um, I think there's an underappreciation, underexploration exploration of human factors in cybersecurity, which threatens the existence of business, as we've seen with all of the cyber attacks that have been publicized of late. 
it's the operations are they're so technologically sophisticated which then equates and heightened opportunities for for a human error but a healthy human factors program can provide the foundation to address and potentially mitigate human-centric issues properly train your workforce you integrate psychology-based professionals as stakeholders and start to remediate some of these human factor-based problems. Yeah, so I I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into your research, you know, how HVAX applies, how you applied HVAX to cybersecurity. And, and I guess we'll just start there. Okay. <laughs> you know, how you went about doing that. Okay, so um, HVAX cyber, I mean, excuse me, human HVAX in and of itself has its own framework and it's set very basically speaking, into four levels. And this is all based on the research of human error by James Reason. James Reason had sort of like a global, here's here's how to look at the whole situation, right? Dr. Chappelle and Wegman, when they created HVACs, took those, um, uh, James Reason has this thing called Swiss cheese theory. Like there's the holes in these levels. So there's unsafe acts. There's preconditions to unsafe acts. Then there are supervisory issues, and then there's organizational issues. And somewhere, if you look at Swiss cheese, right, that somewhere there's a flaw in, in the organization, and it starts with, you know, the accident, and then that's an active failure. And then reason says that there are latent failures that are within the organization that that created that active failure to happen. So HVACs took that deeper and broke the sections into subsections. And then these subsections got broken into what they call nanocodes, which are very granular activities, which cause, which can be adapted to each stage. So each one of those four sets, right? So unsafe act, preconditions, supervisory, and then organizational. When when I was looking at this, and it took me a while to get my head around it too, this is this is this is challenging research. I mean, because it's it's based on so many different plausible and successful frameworks. And and in Chappelle and Wegman, when they were writing their book, they're like, you know, how do you pick a framework, right? There's so many out there. But what you need is, is, a, is some sort of mechanism that, that, that gives you repeatable. Like if I go in and, and do an investigation, I want my colleague to go in and do the investigation and come out with the same result, right? When, when I was working on how do I adapt this to cyber, I went through, as you said, um, NIST. Um, over here we have the um, NCSC, which is used in... Uh, the UK government, I, I went through everything that I could find to ISO 27,000 series, all, everything to figure out how do I, how do I develop nanocodes? So with, when we, HVAC, can I just pause for one second? I just want to, yeah. I want to make, make sure that our listeners understand this. And I want to make sure that I understand this well. So, to, so humor yeah, me for a second. So, okay. so when you talk about like the Swiss cheese model, 
that mm-hmm. to me, and and just correct me if I'm wrong, like I almost like think about a movie where like it starts off with like the bad thing that's happened, right? And then it's like rewind, like you know, two years, you know, before, you know, and then it goes through like all the different things that led up to that bad thing happening. And if that that sequence of events like didn't line up perfectly then maybe that bad outcome never would have occurred. So that's kind of what I think about when I think about the Swiss cheese model. Am I right in thinking about that? We're kind of like working backwards and trying to figure out what led up to this happening. Right. Right. So um, so when when Dr. Chappelle was like, okay, here's like, he said, I don't know anything about cyber. So, you know, you've got to figure out how to how to find your codes, but, 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 and, and this is all published information, but when they, when they look at, um, like an airplane accident, for example, they would go and take the actual, um, some people call this root cause analysis and some, some previous studies would just stop at, okay, the pilot, the, the, there was pilot error, right? he lost situational awareness, pilot error, and they would stop with that root cause analysis. That's it. Job done. What we, what we do in HVACs is you take actually that root cause. And then like a movie, you go back in time through all these other sections all these other four tiers and you can see, okay, there's, there are that unsafe act was either from an error or a violation. These are these can be errors decision based, skill based, perception. A violation would be something like, you know, where somebody's actually breaking a rule. Why did that violation happen? There's a precondition for that. What was this? Was it was there a, a, a technology issue? Was there a problem in the physical environment? Was it a personnel communication issue? Was it a condition of the operator? So, you know, for a pilot, was it fatigue? Overstressed. I mean, can you imagine um, air traffic controllers, the stress that they must be under all the time, right? So then you go into supervisory factors. Was that was the scheduling done improperly so that this pilot was not was did not get adequate rest? Okay, then you go into the organizational influences and maybe they maybe the organization was having financial problems and they cut their their staff funding so they can't bring on enough teams. So do you see it all, it all goes into these preconditions, the supervisory and the organization tend to be what reason called latent factors. So dormant things that are around in the organization. And when you're investigating something, this is why HVACs um, can be used as a proactive tool. Again, flipping the narrative. If you've got good solid nano codes what you can do is instead of having just a technology risk assessment, when every any any uh, chief invest chief information security officer is going to do a risk assessment for their business, most of the time it's fo- it's it's focused on technology. Do we have the right endpoint security? Do we have the right firewalls? Do we have blah 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 blah? With HVAC Cyber, what we can do is take some of these nanocodes and put them in each one of these tiers. And put it into a human factors addition to that technology risk assessment. And that way it can become a proactive tool, not just an investigative tool. If that makes any sense. 
I wanted to go back to something that you asked me. You asked me about NIST, okay? NIST have five concurrent functions in their framework, which is identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. So altogether, this provides a high-level strategic view of what they call the life cycle of an organization's management of cybersecurity risk. It is very global in scope, if that makes sense. So when I was combing through to develop the nanocodes, um, NIST has taken each one of their core, uh, for instance, identity, and they would take, so they've got their subcategory of, in asset management, they've got a subcategory, which is a physical devices and systems within organizations are inventory. So then they have their information references where they go through COBIT, the ISO, uh, NIST 800-53 revision. So they coincide everything to that one statement, right? So I took it a step deeper and then went back into how I could go into an unsafe act under a decision skill-based perceptual violation, whatever. And how do I, how do I develop an, a code around that? So let's take, let's take this asset management issue right here. If you've got people using unidentified unauthorized USB sticks, if, if somebody sends me a USB stick, they used to do this back in the, in the cycling world. They give you a USB stick instead of all these cat catalogs, which were brilliant because you go and you, you end with all this paper, like a USB stick is great, right? I've got the whole catalog. I don't have to download anything, whatever. But if that's got malware on it, I bring it back to my company. I'm like, here, just stick this in. <laughs> um, so un-inventoried, unauthorized device, which let's say uh, that put malware on the computer. Well, you go through the steps that becomes a nanocode in each one of the steps. If that helps you make sense of it, I, I, I created over 250 nanocodes. I mean, it was, it was not a, it was, it, it wasn't something I did over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is so so to to like the UX and the the folks who are not on the technical side um, listening to, so Robin's talking about like the different cybersecurity frameworks and there are a bazillion of them and it's hard to make sense of them all, but there's like NIST as frameworks, COBIT. Um, and what Robin did was she, well, you took, um, you mainly focused on the NIST 27,000, right? I, I, I looked at the NIST I also looked at how, at the references that they used per each subcategory. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to those references, cataloged it all, and then, and then we created, and, and the word nanocode, I mean, it, it's really just a granular mm -hmm. act. Right. So if you think about it as it's a granular act. So, so in, so what this gives you is a very finite document where it's not just a global overall, well, here's what it needs to be done. Okay, well, where? Where, do, where, where, does, where does NIST, where does this 
physical devices and systems within the organization are inventoried. So that means um, that's got to be a policy in the organizational influences. The supervisors have got to make sure that that policy is followed. The preconditions for unsafe acts, that means that um, it's, you know, things need to be checked in and checked out properly so that that unsafe act never occurs. So that means there's got to be proper training. There's got to be proper yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, if we bring it back to the USB example, so, you know, there are many factors in this. The employee needs to know you don't just stick a, a random USB stick into your work computer. That's not that's not allowed. There has to be a policy that that says that's not allowed. Right. There should be controls on the computer that it's not going to auto run you know, the malicious um, code files on the computer, right? Like that should be a thing. You know, there are all these different there and then there should be some sort of mitigating control. Like if so, if something bad does happen, um, you know, how do we minimize this spreading to the rest of the network? So it sounds like what you're saying is like you're helping organizations figure out what they need to do to mitigate these types of risks. And it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of different things. Right. And then and, and then the, the whole thing about HVAC cyber is that it can it can then be um, manipulated a little bit further or adapted a little bit further for FinTech or for um, a medical organization or for maritime because everybody's needs are a little bit different. Right. So the document that I created is is more generic to speak, you know, in some terms, but but it also gets you a heck of a lot closer, you know, because it, when you're trained in theory and then you have to go and apply it, that leaves all kind of room for subjective thoughts of how that should be applied. Well, yeah, so I mean, what, like NIST is like super, it's comprehensive, but it's very broad and it doesn't tell you specifically what you should do. That's, it, it, this sort of reminds me about like that, like you're looking at something that's very broad, but isn't necessarily going to be helpful, um, especially as it applies to human factors, right? Because like frameworks like NIST don't talk about like cybersecurity culture. Right. You know, or like the more of the human factor side of things, which when it gets down to it, 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 it is very culturally driven. You and I were discussing that earlier because it it's really. Uh, and again, to my initial point, an organizational issue, human performance issue, but every every body in that organization needs to be on the same page. And when you talk about, kind of laugh about, you know, my first job at a college, I was a flight attendant for a couple of years, but, um, but I flew for this company called Southwest Airlines out of Texas. It was a great airline, lots of fun. But um, the culture of that company was ingrained in everybody down to uh, you know, the flight attendants, the customer service people, the baggage handlers, everybody got the same cultural belief system. You know, they, this is what, this is how you do things. The same, I think, do you, um, 
I used to, I, I, I used to sell um, engineering equipment and going into these manufacturing facilities back in the early 1990s, whatever, you would have all this ISO 9000 and OSHA laws and everything was getting so that, you know, you'd go into a company like so many, 2 million hours without an accident, right? And these posters are everywhere you go and safety equipment and everything, right? It's just ingrained. You wouldn't dare go into a construction site without steel-toed boots, a bump cap, safety glasses. But it wasn't always that way. It had to be ingrained into the culture. It had to, the board had to agree that it was appropriate. The, the, the human resources had to put it into the training manuals. It had to be on the posters all over so that everybody always goes in properly outfitted. So it's really not any different for us in cyber now. It's, I think, more than ever in the last few years, especially with the growth of ransomware, with the growth of phishing, with the growth of all of these different types of ways to attack people. Yeah, it really has to be embedded. Like, think I, I would imagine that when you did your Southwest training, that the, that was the culture was a huge part of it. This is the way that we do things. If you want to work here, this is the way that we do things. Um, and and we just need to apply that to cybersecurity. Well, and, and the reason has why, to be. Oh, go ahead. The, I'm sorry. The reason why I bring up Southwest is that it, is that it was such a significantly different airline in a in a world full of huge conglomerates that were not making money. This little airline comes out this crazy culture of having fun and, but, but at the same time, they took their safety very, very seriously. It was led by the CEO, the owner and the board all the way through when it's always around you, everybody believes in it. It's, it's just what you do. It's just ingrained and it becomes, and and when you open up the communication, uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day and, and and you open up the communication with your with your admin team to be able to talk to the IT team without any kind of a, um, a, a judgment, basically, or the culture of blame. Because if 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 you are blaming someone for hitting, uh, like there was this horrible um, report the other day about a company that was doing a phishing test here in the UK by telling people it's, you know, COVID's been so bad, click on this link for a bonus. And it was a phishing email. Yeah, I heard about that. Oh my gosh. And we're just like, okay, this is not, this is not the way to, to educate your people or to build a healthy security culture. I could write another dissertation on culture in and of itself. I do believe that when we take out, when, when we change, the, again, change the narrative, take out the blame, and then start looking at fixing the problem, and how could we all do our part? And another part of this, which I, I may have, I think I mentioned it to you before, is, um, um, and, I, and I've heard it before in one of your podcasts, is, is bringing the element of cybersecurity, quote unquote, home to people so that they understand their relevance not only within the organization, but at home. 
Yes, that was so, Gabriel Friedlander's um, episode. Um, and that's definitely worth a listen. So that's episode one. Do you have any parting words or advice for folks before we wrap up? I I like to say, know your people, people. That's sort of <laughs> my favorite because if you, it, it, when you are managing risks, it is important not just to think of the human elements, the human factors when doing your risk assessment, but also just on a daily basis, especially when people are working remotely, understand who your people are, what they're doing, how they're managing their their job, if they're under stress, if they are communicating if they if they understand everything that's going on and their importance to the whole organization from a cybersecurity standpoint, I think understanding that you are you are as big a, a cog in the wheel as anybody else. And just from my personal experience, uh, there can be real tells in the organization. And um, and it's just really important to put cybersecurity at the really at the top of the right up there with with your onboarding and understanding who's in your organization and and the flow of of work and then the culture. I guess it's just it it all that one cannot be had without the other. So yeah, absolutely. So is there anything that, I'm sorry to cut you off, is there anything that you'd yeah. like to promote and how can folks get in touch with you? So I, I have a, um, a website that um, through my mentor's named Jordan Schroeder and uh, he, he was pivotal in, in assisting with um, guiding me in some of my research as well. And we have a website that's hvax-cyber.com. And of course, you can find us, uh, find me on LinkedIn at Robin Lennon Bilinga and um, currently an information security consultant at Barrier Networks. And um, I live in, I'm based in London, but I'm always delighted to talk about, about the research. And um, as it's really fun lately to have other conversations with organizations that are interested in and how we can adapt this to their organization and being a bit mostly proactive, but um, if an investigation is needed as well. Well, thank you, Robin. This was so informative. I loved learning about your research. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, you are welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity.